Okay, in your bulletin was a little card that said, my sins. Did you get this? Not your neighbor's sins, not your daddy's sins, your sins. I want you to do something with me. I'm going to do it too. I want you to, I want you to do something that's kind of creepy, but we're going we're gonna to deal with it pretty well. I want you to write down, don't look at your neighbor. I want you to write down some stuff that you've done that bothers you. Abbreviate. I'm going to write down, I'm going to abbreviate, because I don't want for somehow this to slip out of my hand during the sermon. It falls into Josh Owen's hands, and he stands to confess my sins. You've got some stuff that bothers you in your life, in your past, your present, 10 years ago, two days ago. We're going we're gonna to destroy these at the end of the service, so nobody's going to see them but you and God. When you finished, you can set it aside and... We're going to go back to it again, um, again later on this morning. <clears throat> Noel Coward was an English uh, playwright and uh, theater person in the 20th century in, in um, Great Britain. It is said one time he did something that's pretty funny. He wrote the 20 most or 20 prominent citizens in London. An anonymous letter, and by the way, never read anonymous letters, throw them away. But all he wrote was, I know what you've done. You have been found out. If I were you, I would leave town immediately. And the story is told that all 20 of them left town within the next week. I wonder this week if you got a letter in the mail from someone that addressed you by name and said, I know what you've done, I know what you're doing. And it's fixing to all blow up. I wonder what your response or my response would be. See, the truth is, is that many of us are burdened by heavy guilt. We, we are. We're in the second series of a five or six week sermon series. We're calling it the forgiveness factor. Trying to see how important forgiveness, next two weeks, forgiving other people, then forgiving ourselves. But this morning, looking at God's forgiveness, how important it is in your life and in my life. And uh, it's important because many of us are burdened by guilt. We've got things from our life that are weighing us down. And there may be a thousand reasons you're burdened by that guilt. I want to give you two this morning, uh, two legitimate biblical reasons. One is you may not have made things right with God. In other words, you're burdened by guilt this morning, and that's a good thing. You're feeling conviction. You don't know what it is, but that pull of the Holy Spirit, that agitation on the inside that something's not right and it needs to be made right. And it's very possible that's true about your life or my life because we haven't made things right with God. Folks, guilt and conviction are good things. Sociopathic psychos never feel any remorse or guilt. You watch them on the A&E channel as they're interviewing them from the maximum security prisons across America. Feeling guilt is a good thing, and, and it's a normal thing. And we're going to use a lot of different passages this morning, but one primarily, primary one's going to be from the 32nd Psalm. And I want to read verse 3 and 4 to you. Listen to what it says. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. 
This is King David. And this is King David after his episode with Bathsheba. We talked about that last fall for five or six weeks. Let me give you a quick review. David was a godly king. Godly, we would say in our terms a very committed Christian. But he made a tremendous sinful mistake. He got careless. He saw a, 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 a friend's wife, a companion's wife bathing. He lusted after her. He had her sent to him. He has sex with her. And then she gets pregnant and he doesn't come clean at all. He tries to cover it up, tries to cover it up. And then he ends up murdering his good friend. And then after he's dead and the morning's over, he marries Bathsheba. And it's about nine months later before he ever comes around to getting it right with God. This is that time. He says, my man, I'm just burdened. I'm broken. I'm full of anxiety. I'm full of tension. There's a medical doctor named Paul Torner. Paul Torner wrote a book years ago called Whole People in a Broken World. And when he began his family practice years ago, he said he began to treat people. And he would treat them for symptoms, but he could never find a root cause for many of the patients. Until he began to sit down and talk to him, and he found out, one thing he found out is that many of the people's physical problems and symptoms, insomnia, anxiety, depression, certainly not all of those things are sin-related, not at all, sometimes they are, were related to the fact that they had guilt in their lives that had never been dealt with. Maybe this morning you're feeling guilt, and it's a righteous thing, it's a good thing. But here's the second thing that we experience Sometimes we just feel like what we've done, it can't be made right with God. You look at your life, and you go, you know what? I have, I've had an affair on my husband or wife. I'm a young person or I'm a single person. I'm sexually immoral. I'm a business person who for years I've cheated, I've fudged, I've not been honest. I've had an abortion. I lie. I'm disrespectful spiritually. I've been a sluggard for years. And we wonder, can God forgive me? Can God forgive me? And when that bounces around in your head for long enough, that begins to really gnaw on your heart. Dr. Charles Allen was a famous Methodist preacher and writer Uh, he's passed away now, but he was during the the 1900s. And he said in all his years of counseling, he believed guilt was one of the major causes of mental illness. It eats away, it eats away, it eats away, until finally it breaks us. I want to ask you this morning, are you burdened by guilt? And if you are, i got some really good news for you today. God wants to, and God can forgive every sin but one. Every sin that you and I can commit or have committed, God wants to and God can forgive it. Now, that's awesome news. 1 John 2, 2. We looked at this last Sunday morning. This is a tremendous verse. It says, He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the death on the cross. And not only for ours, but for everyone in the whole world. Leave that there for a second, guys. That word atoning means, it, it literally means that Jesus Christ paid the full price for your sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he did everything to satisfy God's wrath, 
God's hatred towards sin. He did everything to satisfy the punishment necessary for your sins. God, Jesus did everything to provide forgiveness and the removal of guilt from you when he died on the cross. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? Jesus did everything. We have a beautiful old hymn. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. That's wonderful. Now, let's go back to this. There is one sin the Bible says he can't forgive, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We need to take just a minute and look at this. We're talking about forgiveness today. We've got to hit on everything. We've got to be clear about as much of what we can cover in the Bible in 30 minutes this morning. In Matthew 12, verse 31 and 32, some scary verses. I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. That's good news. We'll see in a moment. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, against Jesus, will be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. You know, I hope that bothers you because it bothers me, but what does it mean? Well, here's what it means. In the context of the passage, there were religious people, and it's interesting, this was a sin Jesus said the religious people were committing. Not the the wild children, but the religious people. Jesus was healing people. Jesus was raising people from the dead. Jesus is doing all kinds of awesome things, and they looked at him, and they sneered. And Jesus is doing this by the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know what those creeps said? They said, you're doing that by the power of the devil. And Jesus said, if you are so wicked, and you are so far gone, that you will look at what God is doing, and you will say that it's the work of Satan, you're done. That's bad, isn't it? Be careful what you say. I'm not not at all saying if you criticize a church that you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But we're real real easy to criticize things we don't like spiritually, church world. Be careful. But ultimately, folks, this is a sin a non-Christian commits. This is a sin a person commits that rejects Jesus. If you're a Christian today, you can't commit the unforgivable sin. And, and I love what Billy Graham, the great evangelist, who, who's pretty Bible savvy, said. Billy Graham said, if you're worried that you've committed the unforgivable sin, that is the greatest evidence that you have not committed it. Because that is a sin a person commits out of arrogance and, and pride. And they're just, they are so far gone. They've rejected the Holy Spirit. They've rejected Jesus. They've reached the turning point that they're never going to turn around. That's the one thing that can't be forgiven. If you're concerned about it, that's the greatest news that you have, okay? But here's the good news in this mix. But everything else he can forgive. You see, the the last part of those two verses is so powerful, we miss the first part. Let's look at the first part of verse 31. And so I tell you, every sin, every sin, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. I'm going to name some sins, and I want you to speak out and tell me. Can it be forgiven? Adultery, can it? What? Fornication. Abortion. Lust. Hatred. Meanness. Mean church members. Mean pastors. Some of you said no. What about your sin? Can it be forgiven? Absolutely it can be. So how do we receive God's forgiveness? 
If it's so wonderful and you need it and I need it, how do we receive it? Everybody in here knows Jay Leno, don't you? You know who Jay Leno is, the late night talk show host, comedian? Jay Leno did a funny thing. He's, he apparently, most of his adult life, he's loved cars and fast cars. And when he was in high school, he actually got suspended from school for, for three days for burning rubber in the parking lot. My guess, it wasn't the first time that he had done it, and he got caught, and they finally sent him home. Well, years later, as a famous person, he sent his high school $250,000 for computer software. And he said, here's the one thing. You must clean my record. You must remove, I'm sure he was kidding, you know. You must remove that black mark of that suspension from my record. You know, what if God said today, you got to lay 250,000 big ones on the altar to be forgiven. Let me tell you, one of two things would happen today. We would leave this service today with enough money to build any building we ever wanted to build or a lot of us would leave here unforgiven. Here's the great news. Jesus already paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Uh, What you have to do and I have to do is we have to receive their forgiveness. Here's the first way we receive it when we're saved. When we are saved. Now, this is a reminder. We, We talk about this a lot, but we have to. Salvation doesn't come by just believing facts about Jesus. It doesn't come by joining the church simply and being baptized. Salvation, faith in Christ means, listen, faith in Christ means I believe that he's the son of God. I believe he died and arose for me. Therefore, I'm following him with my life. The best I understand, I'm repenting of my sins, and I'm saying, Jesus, I want you to be my boss and my Lord. I'm giving you my life. Does that make sense? And when you do that, here's the great thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, look what it says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Boy, this is wonderful. When you receive Christ, your past is clean. The sin of unbelief is gone. Everything you did before Christ is gone. I hate to hear someone say, well, you don't know what they were like before they were a Christian. You don't know what I was like before I was a Christian. Clayton and Mary do. And they better be quiet because I know what Clayton was like before he was a Christian. Man, don't throw up what God's already cleaned up. That sounded good. Don't throw up what God's cleaned up. Amen? Man, when you got saved, God did away with what's behind you. Now, here's the thing for Christians. How do we stay clean with God? As we confess our sins and repent as Christians. Years ago, I was having a conversation with a fellow who was a Christian. It was really kind of a Christian argument. None of you have ever had those. But we were talking about the need to confess your sins. And this guy said to me, he said... As a Christian, you don't have to confess your sins. You've been forgiven. You never have to confess them again. So I said, okay, let's say you go have an affair. You commit adultery on your wife. Or, or you go and you, you do some terrible things. Do you ask God to forgive you? He said, no, I just go to God and I thank him for forgiving me. And I thought, you know what? If my kid got in trouble and, and did terrible things and they came to me and they said, Thanks for forgiving me. You know, I would say, thank, thank me after I've grounded you for six weeks. That's an affront to God. You don't confess your sins to be resaved. You confess your sins to stay in a good fellowship with Jesus. First John 1, 9, it was written for Christians. It, con- it begins with a condition, if, if, if we confess our sins. 
when we do this, he is faithful to forgive us. If you were here last week, a little reminder, the word confess. New Testament was written in Greek. The word confess, our English word is made up of two Greek words. The first means the same. It's literally the word homo. It means the same. And the, the second word is lego, which means to say. When we confess our sins, we are saying the same thing about our sins that God does. In other words, when you, you throw a temper fit and you say things that you shouldn't, you say, God, I sinned. He's saying, amen. That's exactly what I think. God, it wasn't my wife's fault. She may have a lot of problems, but this is all me. God, I said stuff I shouldn't. It's my fault, and I want you to forgive me. That's what confessing your sin is. It's getting down and dirty and specific. And you go, oh, this is, that's hard. I don't want to do that. Listen, that, it's hard, but it leads you to the right path. It leads you to forgiveness. So here's the kicker. What's God's forgiveness like? What is it like, what does it mean to be forgiven by God? I want to give you a negative thing first. It doesn't always remove consequences. Now, I put always there for a reason because sometimes people sin and they do things and now, there's consequences with God, but they don't always reap the full punishment of the crime. It seems like in my life, anytime I step a little bit out of bounds, I get my head knocked off. But other people, it's, it's, it doesn't always happen. But remember Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What you do is always going to come back on you. That's always better to remember on the front end, correct? For instance, someone sitting in, in prison today for, on a murder uh, conviction. Maybe they were given life in prison and they get saved today in that prison chapel. That'll be awesome. God forgives them, but that doesn't mean that the prison door is going to come open at two o'clock today for them to walk out. There's still consequences with your sin. That's always important to remember that. But let's look at the amazing part of God's forgiveness. There is consequences, but folks, God's forgiveness truly is amazing. What does it mean to be forgiven by God? Well, the first thing, and we'll explain this, it means that he forgives you. It it means God forgives you. In Psalms 32, verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgressions, whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word there, to forgive, means to lift a burden. It means to take something away. In 1 John 1, 9, remember, if we confess, he will forgive. The New Testament word forgive is a sister word to this Hebrew word. And, and it literally means to abandon something or to leave it behind. And you notice it says God is faithful to forgive us. Folks, when you become a Christian or as a Christian, when you confess your sins with a desire to turn from them, although there's going to be stuff you're going to struggle with the rest of your life, that means the temper, the tongue, you may be confessing some of those things every day until you go into heaven. If you're a bank robber, confess it and repent and stop. Some things you're going to struggle with. But when we confess, God forgives. Now, when God forgives... God leaves it behind. God forgets. Now, this is where it gets really, really amazing and awesome. God, God's forgiveness, he abandons it, and he forgets it. 
the 32nd Psalm, verse 1 and 2, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. That word count literally is an accounting term. It means to cancel the debt. It would literally be like going to the bank tomorrow and you owe the bank $20,000. And you could say, I can't pay it. I don't have the money. And the banker looks at you and winks and goes, oh, don't worry about it. It's gone. That's not going to happen, but that's an illustration that, that it disappears. Folks, God has an ability that a healthy human that you do not have, God can forget completely. Hebrews 8, 12, look at this. For I will forgive their wickedness. Read this last part with me. And will, I will remember your sins no more. Hebrews 10, 17. He adds their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. Back in 2004, I know this is going to sound hokey to the young people. You older people will get it. But I'd, I'd gotten a laptop, and we were just getting it where it was wireless working in, in, in my office. So I could sit at one desk, I could type, work on a sermon, and I could print over here to printer, and it, it, everything was great. So one, one week, I'm working on a sermon. I'm going back to my old church in Texas to preach a dedication sermon for a new building. So I work about five hours on a sermon one day. And I called Steve, who was in Clayton's position at that time. I said, Steve, how do I save this? He comes in and shows me. I save it, cut the computer off. Come back an hour later, cut it on, and I can't find the sermon. So I call Steve. I think you need to get back here. Steve comes back there, and we look. We can't find it. We get everybody in the church that's ever said the word computer. And we look, 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 and we can't find it anywhere. Finally, the IT guy says, it's gone. I said, what do you mean it's gone? He said, it's gone. I said, no, no, really. Seriously, where is it? He said, it's, it's nowhere. It, it's, you will never see that work again this side of heaven. So that's what God does with our sins. You see, some of us right now, if we die today, we're going to answer to God for a lot of junk. But it doesn't have to be that way. Years ago, two people I was friends with we're in a serious head-knocking thing at a church. And the way they were trying to settle things between them was not good. They were accusatory. They, they were going after each other. And, and one of them finally said, do you remember a few years ago when you did this in a meeting and you really acted ugly and it really hurt a lot of people? And here was the person's response. said, yeah, I remember that, and I'll answer to God for that someday. You don't want to answer to God for it someday. Look, look what Romans 4, 8 says. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will never count against him. How many of you want to stand before God and have to spend hours going over why you did this, why you didn't do that? Listen, as a Christian, you're going to answer to God too. But you can, you can stand before God with a clean slate if you stay right with God. Folks, when it says God forgets, that doesn't mean when you die and you go to heaven, he's going to go, hey, I forgot while you were here on earth, but <laughs> let's talk about it now. Wouldn't that be creepy? But God, you said forget. I didn't really mean it. God did mean it. God forgets. Not only God forgets, but he cleanses us. He cleanses us. He not only wipes the slate clean, he, he cleans us. In, in the 51st Psalm, verse 2, it says, Wash away all my iniquity. 
David's talking here. And cleanse me from my sin. In verse 7, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And then one more time at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, he is faithful to forgive, to send it away, and purify us. Purify us. John and Jesus lived in a Roman world, and the Romans were obsessed with cleanliness. If you go to England or you go to Israel, you could see today Roman bathhouses that date back hundreds and thousands of years. And the bathhouse was a couple of things. One, it was a den of iniquity. I mean, it was a party place. But it was also a place they wanted to be clean. That's where they went to go clean. I'm for clean. I'm pro-clean. I like good breath, and, you know, I like deodorant. I like those things. And God says, listen, I don't just clean your slate, I clean you. I don't just wipe the slate clean and purify it, I purify you. And the last thing about God's forgiveness is it's restorative. What does that mean? It means that God gives you a second chance and a a 400th chance. If you're taking notes, write this passage down. 2 Chronicles, not Corinthians, Chronicles chapter 33. Go home and read that this afternoon. It's a story of a guy named Manasseh, probably the biggest creep in the Bible. Listen, this guy literally sacrificed his children in the fire, killed his children in the worship of false gods. He was so brazen He put up idols of false gods in the temple, and God knocked him down. Literally, a hook was put in his nose. He was dragged to Babylon, but when he got there, you know what he did? He repented. In our words, he got saved. And God forgave him for killing his own kids for horrible things. And then God brought him back to Jerusalem and put him at king again. Folks, restoration doesn't always mean everything's going to be just like it was, but here's what it means. It means when you and I confess and get right with God, as we stay right with God, God's never finished with us. So here's the deal. You've got to receive the forgiveness. And I want you to do it now. In just a moment, we're going to stand. Here's what we're going to do. If you're not a Christian, I want you to find, there'll be three ministers down here. Find one of us. You come this morning and let us help you give your life to Christ. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next Sunday. Come and do that today. Find Christ's forgiveness. You're here today and you go, you know what? I'm looking for a church to join. You want to join a church that's going to love you and that believes in forgiveness. You come and join us. One way you can join when we stand, you come and talk to a minister. You're a Christian today who's got junk in your life that needs to be dealt with. Come get on your knees before God. Come pray with a minister. But here's the the next thing I want to ask you to do. You don't have to do this, certainly, but I want to challenge you to do it. I want you to take that little blue card that you wrote something on a minute ago, and I want you to wad it up. When we stand in just a moment, we're going to have two garbage cans here on the floor. We got a bucket in the balcony. Where's our bucket in the balcony, guys? You're in the balcony. You can certainly come to the floor and you can put it up there. I want you to 
as a symbolic way of showing that you're letting go of it today. You're going to let God have it. And we're going to destroy these cards in just a moment. We're going to get rid of them. I want you to come by and drop it in one of these baskets. Let's stand. We'll be waiting on you.